Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Hey, this week, uh, we're talking about Romans chapter 12. I actually brought the message this past Sunday, and none of you asked questions, but we still have an intriguing conversation about what it looks like to be a unified church, what it looks like to do sincere love actually in our modern context, and all these sorts of things. And yeah, let's dive right in. Heidi ho Hello, everybody. We were having deep, fun conversations. We are, we are talking uh, Christmas, really. Yeah, just family, family life and Christmas yeah. stuff, and yeah, yeah. This is this doesn't feel like the normal fluff at the start. This is a, this was actually a deeper thing. Like, how do you? Yeah, we had we actually had meaningful conversation, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than nonsensical conversation. Yeah, yeah. and the question we were kind of like processing was. Uh, Welcome to the Red Couch Theology podcast, by the way. Uh, the, the question we were processing was, was uh, how do you build Christmas memories, I guess? Like, how do you build yeah. experiences for your family that they'll look back on and cherish? Because I just took my family out for dinner last night, and it felt like a bit of a disaster. The light show that we went to was delightful. We wandered, we drank hot cocoa, we drank apple cider, we just enjoyed just being out feeling the start of christmas we listened to christmas music on the way there it was delightful so good but then yeah. we went out for food and it was too late a bunch of kids were tired they're kind of like they didn't love the food it felt overpriced we're trying to enjoy a glass of wine laura's got like a margarita or something it just feels like let's just drink these as quick as possible so we can get in the car and go home like not the not the <laughs> vibe that we were going for um and and sometimes that's hard. Like sometimes you just you know don't land where you want to land. Yeah. Well, I so I read this book. Have you read a Million Miles in a Thousand Years? No, I feel like I bought it because you told me about it. Oh, that's yeah. It's uh, it's, it's the Donald yeah, Miller yeah, Donald book. Miller one. Yeah, I definitely own it. I feel bad because I recommend it to so many people, and then one of the people I met recommended it to hated it, <sighs> and like. Yeah. Anyway, but so, but well, I love it. Yeah, I love it, and it's without going into greater or super detail because I encourage you to read it. The question it's wrestling with is: Can do the same the same things that make an incredibly good story? Do they make it a good life? Hmm. And then it's Donald Miller telling a story about how he tested that thesis in his own life. Wow. Anyway, so, and he talks about the elements of narrative, setting, protagonist, antagonist, rising action, you mm -hmm. know, climax, conclusion, yeah. resolution, all these elements of good narrative and, you know, the hero's journey, all this stuff. And then he just like would take one of those things and then try and implement it. And one of them, for example, is setting. He says, oftentimes, like a screenwriter will take even a real story um, that they're writing about, and they'll change the setting just because on screen, an incredible setting, like if you have this meaningful, palpable conversation in your car in a Walmart parking yeah. lot in the actual story, if you take that same meaningful conversation and put it on the mountain to, on a mountaintop oh, at sunset, so different, yeah. there's a different feel yeah. to it. And so he's like, yeah try and find places and environments that are just unique mm -hmm. because they lock in your memory more. And so after I read this, I started to try and do this at Christmas time for my family. Just what's an, 
what's a magical environment mm -hmm. that I can just place my family into and hope that that environment assists with the creation mm -hmm. of memory and the locking in of our human stories as a family. And sure enough, we, we've done that a few years and it's like, I, I love it because then we, we look back on our year and some of the memories that our girls talk about are those things. Mm. So it's mm. worth it. I love it. Well, we felt like the, the lights is a, is a, is a memory that they, it's like a consistent thing that we do every year that they love. And yeah. they, you know, but, but I think those new things are like things we're always looking for. Um, but yeah, it was a fascinating thing, but, but fun experiment, but today we don't get to talk about that anymore. Well, we, we did get to talk about it. Um, today we get the awkwardness of switching roles because I did not preach this Sunday. Weird. So bizarrely, because of because you're the only one that brings any technological ability, you still have to do all the functional things that you had to do. <laughs> um, I get to ask the questions That's instead fine. of yeah. I feel that way when I preach too, because like I still came in, turn on the sound system, turn on the yes. lights, unlock the doors, uh, did a couple of those things, and then I was like, wait, I'm preaching today. It's like this weird. This is weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Well, next time I can come in and open the doors for you. Perfect. I, everything else, I don't know if I'd be much help. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it took me however many minutes to figure out that the switch was off the other day for the power. And yeah. anyway, not my, for, <laughs> not my forte. So what did you talk about? Romans 12. Huh? It was pretty neat. Rom Romans 12, the good part or Romans 12, the hard part? The good part or the hard part? There's a, what's the good part and the hard the, part? Well, I guess good's the, probably the wrong term, but the, 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 the part that most people know, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did not preach the part that you most people know. You did not part know, though, yeah. Like, yeah, Romans, the beginning of Romans 12 is a pretty glorious and memorable text. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Yeah. So that's not what I preached about. No. Instead, so little backstory for those who didn't know this uh, on Sunday, I'd actually preached this message before yeah. in class. This was a seminary assignment. Um, for those that say seminary is no practical use, ha! Yeah, in there this was case. some value to this. And so when Alex was looking to take a break because he preached for like a thousand years without <laughs> any help, um, uh he asked me, well, you're in this preaching class right now. Why don't you just see if one of those sermons would work? And then we discussed the timing of it. And, and I, I'd actually thought a lot about South when I prepared the mm. message for class um, because of what I said in the sermon, which is like this pastoral concern about this coming year and the election year and mm. uh, theological decisions that are coming up. These sort of heavy, <coughs> heavy potentially heavy things that could mm. be facing our community this coming year. And... So anyway, but I preached the message in class and then it seemed to align well with the timing mm. of this one off. And so um, I had to change the intro and all of the illustrate, almost all the illustrations and the outro and everything. Because you'd used them before. No, because I mean, you know this, like when you preach, you not only are you exegeting a text, you're exegeting an audience. Absolutely. And so you're, so when I preach this to seminary students, um, telling them that I have a pastoral concern for their year. They're like, who, who do you think you are? Like yeah. that, wouldn't work. that wouldn't quite work. And then my introduction, 
my introduction from seminary students is like, you're, you're going to be going into ministry and there's going to be people in your ministry that God calls you to minister to or that are difficult. Mm. Um, I did not find that everyone's easy. Everyone's easy, <laughs> except for me. Um, but so I told that to them, like, and the, here's how, here's steps you can take to learn how to love them sincerely. Mm. Well, I'm not going to preach that same yeah. intro to South yes. where I'm like, Hey, some of you are difficult to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't quite land the yeah, same. <laughs> there's honesty. And then the stupidity. Yeah, there's, there's like, I mean, now you've heard it. It's on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah, can yeah, pull yeah. this quote out. Yeah. Aaron hates the other Send it so. to everyone. Um, but instead it, I had to shift the whole intro. And then so several of the um, illustrations just wouldn't have connected with mm. this audience as much so anyway but that's the backstory so what did there. you say and what passage then did you preach on exactly oh so part of the reason i started with that uh little backstory is i kind of love i have like this maybe sadistic joy of being assigned a complicated text yeah. or a text that i wouldn't naturally gravitate towards yes because usually when i'm forced to study a passage that i don't naturally gravitate towards that's usually where the good stuff is mm. um so that's how this was. When I first read this passage, it's starting in verse 9 uh, through verse 16. I first read this passage and I was like, there's nothing. There's it's no, a tough one. Yeah, it's not one that you... There's well, no well, there's good... like, But there's also so many little pointers that you're like, well, how do I provide a cohesive message on all this broad stuff? Here? Yeah, like I could do like, let love be sincere and then just preach that and yeah. like expand and find other yeah, passages yeah, yeah. that talk about this. Um, I could do hate what evil is, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But then as I just then I did a basic um study in the Greek and I started to realize this feels like strange Greek to me. Mm. And I'm not a Greek scholar at all. Um but it felt like the phrases are funny. So I popped over to a commentary and I found out oh, this is like a bullet point list. Mm -hmm. Oh, goody. I'm like yeah. even less excited yeah. than I was before. <laughs> like a bullet point. Like how do you breathe life into a bulleted list? It's a challenge, right? Um, yeah. So that challenge is actually the part that gets me a little mm. excited. So um, so I studied it a bunch. And while I pull it up on the screen here, you can actually see my notes in here. Um, I studied a bunch and, and started to uh, learn that this first phrase is sort of a heading for the uh -huh. bullet, bullet point list. Um, and then each of these other little phrases are like, there's not even any verbs really, um, or uh, commands, but they have sort of the weight of a command. They're really sharp, mm -hmm. short phrases. And I was trying to think, again, how do I make this cohesive? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I found a thread in, in that it seemed like each category was, or each uh, item could fall into one of two categories. One is about your own personal character and mm -hmm. character development, which felt strange under a list mm -hmm. of sincere love. Yeah. Like how do you love other people really well, really work hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. That felt like a counterintuitive. So I felt like that had some teaching weight behind it. Yeah. And, and then the second one was a little bit more natural, which is like, you have to be self-sacrificial. So mm -hmm. you see the blue, the things I've highlighted in blue for are... people that can't see in blue. Oh or yeah, can't yeah, yeah. See, sorry, like you know, that are listening. I'll read them out. To yeah, you. yeah, so, maybe wise. So here's the bullet. Aaron's also wearing a blue shirt, just That's in right. case you're missing that information. <laughs> uh, so the items in this list that fall under 
your character development is hate what is evil, cling to what is good, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Each of those are like personal character Mm -hmm. development or spiritual growth and your personal relationship with God. And then in orange, if you're watching online, um, is the second category, which is selflessness or self-giving. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, share with the Lord's people in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. And this one actually could fall under either, either category, mm-hmm. but yeah. So though I've sort of broke it into the two sections and then that's the, the main idea that I landed on is like the way that you grow in sincere love for even the most difficult people is by working on your personal character mm-hmm. and then, um, cultivating a habit of of uh, self-sacrifice. Yeah, like we're, and, and so there's like this big transformation piece to that. I think one of the quotes that we've used a, a bit over the last few months is the best gift you can give to yourself is the uh, give to the world around you is the person you're becoming. Or something yeah, similar. Yeah, like yeah. It's kind of like a Dallas Willard type idea, I guess. Yeah, which I used to, yeah. in the message itself. Yeah. yeah. So, but that that's great by itself to pick, mm-hmm. pick apart a text, but what, what makes this text come alive... And this is true for most texts, honestly, is the context of the book of Romans. Yeah. So once you realize that, who is he writing this to? He's writing to this very diverse church Mm -hmm. that's made up of uh, Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity. And then if you look at the content of the whole book of Romans, there's clearly some tension going on between these two parties because there's like two or three chapters dedicated to getting the, to ensuring that the Gentiles know that they're lost and need mm-hmm. a savior. Several chapters given to making sure the Jews know that they're lost and they also uh-huh. need a savior. Yeah. And then the gospel. And then there's, then he goes back to it and mm-hmm. starts to wrestle with what's the va- advantage yeah. of being Jew and Gentile and all this stuff. So there's this clear two party mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. that he's writing this text into. And then, then you read this passage and you're like, oh, I know why they need sincere yeah, yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're struggling with this. They, yes. They're, they're sort of tolerating each other uh-huh. in the church. And then you look into the past, the chapters that follow this text, mm. and you look at some of the thing that, things that he's asking them to do right after this. Mm-hmm. Don't repay evil for evil. Yeah. Um, you know... It's something very much the text you preached the previous, yeah, previous like, week, like love like your enemies. Paul knows about this idea. Yeah. Like, and then he says, submit to your governing authorities, which is obnoxious uh-huh. in his day and age, yeah. because it's the Roman government who is murdering Christians. Unless you're Romans, which is some of these people. Yes. Like, so it's like bizarre. this weird tension. And then he starts, yeah, he tells them to, to pay your taxes and all this stuff. Uh, and then he talks about... Sorry, just pause. Tax season is coming up. If you're listening to this... You should pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Even if it's to a government that you're not a big fan of. <laughs> That's a different sermon. It One totally, of the students uh, in our class had to preach that text. Oh, man. And she killed it. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, you need to come preach this in our church. But because she did a really good job. Um, yeah, but it's a very hard text. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, 
don't commit adultery, uh, all this stuff going back to the Sermon on the Mount stuff. Um, the day is near. Then he's like, you have all these rights. You should give them, set, yeah. set your rights aside yeah, yeah, for the yeah. sake of love and all this stuff. So he's going to be asking him to do a lot of really difficult things. And he's like, I think I, I think I need to prep them with yeah. this teaching on sincere love. So right, rights is a fact. Like I, I think we're so ingrained today with the idea of rights in terms of the civic life. Like these are our rights. I remember just bizarrely going back to my dad after doing a civics class and telling him like I knew all about my rights. Like in terms of the household, like, you know, and, and my dad just looked at me and said, did they tell you about your responsibilities as well? And you know, when you just, you, you end up in a debate <laughs> and, and know instantly you're outmatched. It's like, like a wrestler feels the first weight of the guys wrestling with. He's like, oh no, this is going <laughs> to end badly. Yeah. Um, but the idea of like knowing rights and laying them down is fascinating as a, as a concept. Um, yeah. And so, so Paul brings all of this, like, I, I'm always intrigued by, because, because one of the anecdotal things with this as well is like, Paul's never met any of these people. Yeah. So like, he's, he's saying all of this stuff to people he's not met. And some of it is weighty, heavy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. He's trying to paint a picture of what a Christ community is supposed to look like. And meanwhile, they're like, they're struggling with each other. Uh -huh. And he's, so he's like, no, we... As, as followers of Jesus, as, as Christians, we're going to pursue sincere love. Uh -huh. That's the way that we proceed. Um, and so he spends a huge chunk of his letter trying to level the playing field uh -huh. between Jew and Gentile, theologically. Hmm. Yeah. And then he start, in 12 is when he pivots and says, okay, You've got the theological weight behind uh -huh. why we should love each other as equals. Now let me start talking to you about what this implies. And he's like, he starts saying these really difficult things to them, like love with brotherly love. Yeah. The, the Jew or the Gentile next to you and uh, give your stuff to them. Yeah. And... I know. Bless yeah. them when they hate your face. And like, I, I oh, wanna, yeah. That's my translation. So, by so, the way. So, yeah, it's a great <laughs> translation. It's very faithful. Uh, <laughs> like I, I, I hope people grasp like that, that that why piece though. Like what is the big why? Like broadly, like when 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 we ask the question, like why does he want them to do this? Other than just unity as a like you know they they're not getting on. He wants them to find a, a place to get on. Like, but why? Like, what's the big thing that he thinks the church is supposed to do that they get to demonstrate in amongst this? Well, yeah, I mean, Jesus knows, and, and Paul, by proxy, as a, as a writer of mm -hmm. Scripture, knows that the way of Jesus is how human beings were designed to, to have the greatest yeah. flourishing. And just like everything in life, Anything that's incredibly good goes through incredibly difficult paths. Mm. And so that's also true with us. Like just because it's counterintuitive to love your enemies doesn't mean it's not a better way of being human. And same thing here. He sees a, a picture of a church that's able to become this counterculture that's able to um, break down barriers that culture can't break uh -huh. down yeah. and then find a thriving and a unity that's um, 
supernatural. It's otherworldly mm -hmm. in the sense that we aren't used to experiencing it, but it's actually the way of life. Mm. I don't know if that's answering your question. No, it, it definitely does. But so, so like, it just, to me, it's just intriguing. Like, we we get to read all of this history and see how the church grew and moved. Like, and and I'm talking about something that in AD 33 is a hundred people. Yeah. And then the next day it's 3000 people. And then it's like talking about, instead of saying adding, it's now saying multiplying. Yeah. And then instead of saying Jerusalem, it's now Judea. And it's now like, and, and I think like one of the stats is that the church goes from in like, 100 AD, it's like 20,000 people. And by, you know, 100 years later, it's in the millions. Like, it just, like, the growth is nuts. Yeah. Um, And any of us that have been involved in something that's growing, like, you know how hard it is not to lose the thing that made it the thing. Yeah. So it's like mm. when you hear people who've planted churches say, oh, man, like, wish we could go back to how it was at the beginning. Yeah. Um, like there was so when we started off and there were just like 20 of us and we were doing meals, everything, every night, like it was so good then. Yeah. Um, yeah. But usually the thing that derails is the obsession with the, the details of how it starts. Yes. Yes. And then you're trying to fight for those details. Meanwhile, there's a deeper strand behind those details that actually is the real life. Yeah. That then is transferable and scalable and all of these. Yeah. Things. So, so Paul, Paul like, he, it seems like he knows what Jesus taught, like this revolutionary. And that's why I was so excited that you were going to preach this passage. Cause it does, it really just rolls on from love your enemies. Yeah. It's more detailed. It's got some aspects to it and it's, and it beautifully deals with love your enemies even when the people that should be friends and are actually yeah. posturing love as your enemies. enemies in your own family yeah yeah, like, yeah 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 love the person that drove to church with you in the car when they're your enemies <laughs> yeah. um like love them when you're me and me and laura have this rolling joke about like how much he helps when i'm driving like, <laughs> like with turn signals and stuff and like so i've just started saying like so fun to have a little helper in the car like just pointing <laughs> out these little details and stuff like that um but but like you this know, is why I just don't drive anymore. <laughs> My wife drives. I'm not, can, I'm not joking. I couldn't handle that. She <laughs> likes to drive. I hate to drive. So it's a win-win situation. I were the other way around. I love to drive. I could not drive. I could not not drive. Um, but but like so we're not really arguing. But you you hear stories about how people blow up in the car at each other, then have to walk into church together and, and pretend everything's all right. He knows, Paul knows this revolutionary teaching. And then he's also been right in the mix of seeing and hearing about the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and and already there's language in Acts about how, like, you know, all the people were in awe of this community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people trying to join, people trying to get involved. Um, and it's it's truly life-changing for people and for communities. And then you hear these stories all through Acts. You hear people say things like... um you know, like they were called Christians first because they loved each other. Like they were little yeah. Christs is some of the language. Yeah. Um, and so it feels like in this, he's desperately fighting for culture while not necessarily caring much about the details of like, of practice, like of like the, th the way that you do church. He doesn't really say much about that. In oh, all not at all. Yeah. 
Like he's not, he doesn't give any advice on how to structure a church service. Doesn't give any advice on like what a church building should look like, whether you should meet in homes or whether you should meet in civic buildings. Uh, yeah, because those are the mechanisms to get to this. Yeah. Which is like, you know what, what, what I really needed to do is you're going to fight for sincere love, not just love, but a sincere love that mm -hmm. like comes from the depth of who you are. And they're like, well, that's a really big ask. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And this is not an option. Yeah. If we're going to be, if we're going to be what Jesus has in mind for his church, this isn't an option. Yes. And then, no, the churches, the building in church, uh, you know, there's some other texts, you might get some hints at some of these things, but very little, fr frankly, those things are much more inconsequential, but this is mission critical. Yes. A sincere love within the church even when there are people that are difficult to love, we we can't just like avoid that. Yeah. So I want to I want to point out an obvious difference in our day and Paul's day. That one that I think causes tension and why I think messages like this are so crucial. So so even go back a little bit before Paul. Go back to like Jesus teaching in different synagogues around his hometown. Like what you 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 kind of realize as you look into culture is like nobody's saying like. Do you know what? Kind of just mad at the people at the synagogue in Nazareth. Uh, I think I'm just going to go to the one in Capernaum. Like, I'm just going to jump over there for a while. Like, the, the guy doing the teaching seems friendlier, seems nicer. Um, yeah. Like, the, the people there aren't, like, they, their potlucks are better. Yeah. Um, like, that, that's not a culture. And as you get into the church early on in Acts, you feel like that's not a culture either. There's not this ability to say like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to head over here. Um, just, you know, and, and that's not even to, to critique. Like, I mean, we got lots of people at South that have come from different churches. There are all sorts of different reasons. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've moved church like as a pastor and I, I'm not necessarily criticizing all that. It's just different. It feels like one of the, the downsides to that ability to drive 30 minutes to go to a church that you like more than the one that you used to go to um, is that the moment it gets difficult to do life as a community, mm -hmm. it gets really easy to say, oh, I'm just going to head somewhere else. Yeah. And we'll start afresh. It's like I used to think church planting was this really easy thing where you'd be like, oh, we just, yeah, we don't have any baggage. Like we're just, we're beginning afresh, right? We'll just create the thing. And then you realize, wait, no, like all of the, most of these people came from somewhere else. Yeah. And they bring their own hopes and dreams and, oh, we used to do it like this and all those different things. Yeah. And that even as you like, you change, like as a pastor, you have moments where people will say something like, you know, oh, that was kind of like the old Alex, like. Oh, you led worship like the old hour and then like back in the day when he used to like, you know, yeah. and you're kind of like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah, it, it, it better, worse, different, like help me out here. Yeah. So it feels like saying to people, no, no, make sure you implement this instead of using the escape valve of just, there's another place to go. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a, this is a soapbox issue for me because I, I think one of the things that the modern church struggles with theologically is having a, an accurate theology of transformation. Mm. We want to have, we want to believe 
that transformation comes by understanding something really well. Yes. Making a mental ascent to accurate theological assertions. Mm -hmm. If I think it, think in the right way, I will be transformed from the inside mm -hmm. out. And there's some measure of truth to that. Mm -hmm. But the actual reality is, most of the time, transformation comes by excruciatingly difficult things that force us to to live mm -hmm. our thoughts yeah. and our beliefs differently. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, the the best things in life are the are some of the hardest things in life. If you want to become an incredible athlete, none of us would say, "Oh yeah, exercise is not going to be a part of that." Yes, yeah. yeah we yeah. all know really yeah. intuitively that being a great athlete is going to involve really, Unless you're really a hard darts player. Like that's <laughs> yes. the, this the one where you're like, you know, well, you still have to practice. Yeah, totally. Practice is definitely a part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's no calisthenics. Like, it's yeah, like, you know, fair enough, fair enough. So, uh, yeah. Um, um, but you, you, you get what I mean. Like building yeah. a, a good relationship, it's going to take work. Being a good parent, it's going to take work. Mm -hmm. If you want to become like a, a great physicist, you're going to have to study like crazy, mm -hmm. like good places are not arrived at mm. by no effort. Yes. And and I think like, like when we did a relationship series earlier in the year, one of the mantras that we used was um, relationships are hard work. So let's work hard at our relationships. Uh, yes. Such a great uh, line. But, but the, the transformation element that you're touching on is really like a lot of the, the framework of any relationship, whether it's the, the kind of church relationships or, or faith community relationships that Paul's primarily maybe talking about here, marriage relationships, sibling relationships, housemate relationships, all across the board. A lot of the time our framework is if, if God transformed the other person, we'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and actually Paul has no interest in that as a conversation, just like Jesus has no interest in in saying like pray really hard that your enemies would not be enemies like yeah. his strategy for transformation is not pray god would change them yeah and actually like if you've ever been to a a good counselor a good counselor you may come and complain about a relationship and a good counselor will say let's talk about you yeah yeah oh i hear i can hear your complaint mm -hmm. about the other party What's going on in your heart? Like yeah. that's a bad counselor is one like, yeah, let's just bash them yeah, let's for just hear, an hour. Like, give me everything you got. And like, just yeah. keep on a good counselor pivots that and says like, there's something in you that could be transformed in such a way that you can handle mm -hmm. how evil they are. Yeah. Let's say they are, let's hypothetically. Um, and the same thing's true here. It's, um, I think we miss out on so much of what God has for his church because of our modern society gives us so many easy, really, really accessible escape valves. Yes. And so we're like, ah, I'm struggling. Why can't my light, why can't I find the transformation that Jesus talks about in the scriptures? Well, because you keep ditching the process. Yeah. Um, and that's true in so many areas of life. It's it was, true with marriage. Like we talked about that during the mar yeah. marriage subjects that came up. Like um, some of the tension in marriage is by design. So if it's if there's tension, it's not a sign that it's not working. It might actually be the sign that it mm -hmm. is working. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so I think like 
and I tried to sketch this out and I think just it landed even better this week because of how practical this list is. Some of our escape valves for, um, for how we think about loving our enemies and our neighbor. And Jesus asks us to do both. Like that's the beautiful thing. Like it's like neighbor singular enemies, plural. It's like the guy that lives next door that doesn't mow his lawn. Uh, the guy next door that like drives you nuts because he has a dog that barks at five yeah. o'clock in the morning, all those different things. And it's like big, broad, like all over the place. Enemies. Yeah. Multiples. Um, one of the escape valves is like, well, well, I'll love them in this kind of abstract way. Yeah. Uh, so that's that agape versus phileo. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. one of the escape valves is, well, I'll pray for them to, to change. Actually, I actually had someone come up, uh, talk to me after the message on love your enemies and said, yeah. oh yeah, I definitely pray for my enemies. I pray that God would like bring them to repentance and that they'd change and that the, the, this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think you caught the tenor of the message that actually like when, when God says pray for them, he doesn't mean pray that they get hit by a truck. Uh, he doesn't say like, God, would you accidentally have them go through a big accident? Like he doesn't say, yeah. even would you pray that you would change them? It's like, no pray for their good in the same way that your father brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah. Uh, pray blessing on them essentially. Yeah. Like which this verse 14 gets at yeah. it's this it's the it's the most aggressive in the greek because it's got the imperative in it bless those who persecute uh -huh. you uh bless and do not curse so he not only is it the first time that the imperative has shown up in mm -hmm. the text he triples it yeah and he just says, for people, bless, if bless, people do don't know curse. what's an imperative an imperative verb is just a command yeah you will do this yes if you well you know like you obviously don't have to in the sense that you could just say, I'm not, I'm not going uh -huh. to obey the way of Jesus. Yeah. But if you intend to obey God, mm -hmm. you're going to be a person that blesses those who persecute you, mm -hmm. bless and do not curse. And then in the, you know, in ancient context, one of the ways that you would add exclamation marks is by repetition. Yes. And he says it three times in uh, the same sentence, bless, uh -huh. bless, both imperative, do not curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah All are imperatives. Yeah. And so, and, and we talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. I kind of impinge, I, I kind of got into some of your territory, even though it was in my text as well. Like, and, <laughs> and I almost feel like you didn't go there as much, maybe because of that, but I almost wish like you talked about it again because it's such a beautiful talking point. If you want to understand how Paul works, one of the things he does all the time is he does what's called indicative and imperative which really might be summed up as like, because God has done this, this is the kind of people I want you to be. Yeah. Uh, and, and really all through Romans, it's like, because God loved you who were his enemies, now love your enemies. Yeah. Like, like it's like, it's like, if you want to know whether this works, it, it does work. Yeah. Because it worked on you. Yep. Like you oh, were yeah. an See, enemy. I love that from your previous work, your previous sermon. You're like, yeah, there's a great case study. Yeah. And you're here you're because the, of it. You're the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Here like, you are. Yeah, you yeah. were running headlong, according to Romans 5, which uh -huh. I referenced briefly. But according to Romans head, uh, 5, you're running headlong away from uh -huh. God yeah. while maybe flipping him the bird. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm coming after you. Yeah. Like <laughs> and so if you have a relationship with someone who feels like they're running headlong uh, away from you, that's flipping you the bird, who has categorically made themselves an enemy, um, 
they are you just in a different place. Yes. So do for them what God did for you. Yeah. Which is to love them well. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the text has a lot of, a lot of bite for us. And I think the, the way I pivoted towards the end to bring it more close to home for South is, you know, and this is, you know, the political climate's true for any church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I tend to think that South has maybe a slightly wider range of political worldviews so. yeah. in our community than maybe some yeah. churches. We're not a very diverse ethnically church, ethnically no. diverse church, no. but we're pretty diverse theologically, um, politically, and socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. We're really, really yeah. pretty diverse community. And so with the election year coming up, I'm like, this is where you find out, this is where the rubber meets the road for this community and the theological conversation we're in about women in leadership. Yep. Um, each person, as that conversation continues to unfold, no matter which way it unfolds, hmm. uh, it's going to bring tension for some. And yep. they're going to have to decide, is this an issue worth separating fellowship over or mm-hmm. is this a, a tertiary issue? And that's going to be a hard decision for some. Absolutely, it is. And then even yeah. if they say, I'm staying, they may just wrestle with that. And and this is the invitation. Yeah. The answer to both the political one yeah. and the theological one is to say, I'm going to try and cultivate a life of sincere love. Yeah. Whatever that means, whatever comes my way. Yeah, and and I think you can stay in an unhealthy way, right? So th- this is where I think yeah, it, brings, yeah, yeah. it comes around to the pastoral element. Like in the midst of those difficult conversations, Paul, I think, gives a nudge. And given he doesn't have a framework that says just skip over the, move to Corinth and go to the church there. Like, he's yeah. like no, they're, they're a mess. Don't, you don't want to go there. And it's a like, four-day yeah, walk yeah, yeah, every yeah, Sunday. You know, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah if, if you go anywhere, you want to go to Philippi. They've, they've got it down. Those guys are awesome. Poor, <laughs> but awesome. Um, he doesn't really have those frameworks necessarily. Um, he does want us to find ways to continue to love even when it's challenging and i think i uh, as i say i don't feel like eugene peterson was asked how do you choose a church and he said pick one stay there and and i love like i love it on one hand and i'm like it's a bit reductionist on another hand like sometimes there's good reasons to move but i do think if you choose a church carefully and prayerfully then you should also stay carefully and prayerfully or leave carefully and prayerfully. Like, don't be a whim person. Don't just be like, ah, yeah, I just, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Um, yeah. Like, like, make sure that you bring God into those conversations. Um, yeah, so I used to, I used to, when I first started as a pastor, the group of people in the community that I might have wrestled with the most were those who complained about mm-hmm. various things, volume of the music yeah, yeah. and can't we do more hymns mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. But really quickly that pivoted to, um, I, st- I started to realize that those people are staying and complaining. Mm-hmm. They're trying to transform their community. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they that's love why it. they, yeah. that's why they're bringing their feedback yep. is they're staying and complaining. And then there's another group of people like, I would go, I haven't seen so-and-so in three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. And then I get a hold of them. They're like, yeah, you know, this or that happened. And you're like, oh, so you just silently disappeared? Uh Way less, no offense, 
because there's a lot <laughs> a lot of them out there way less respect for that totally yeah because that means you 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 didn't care enough about your community to even ask a question yeah. to a leader yeah. about why things were being done the way they were done. Yes. And you left because we put LED lights up mm -hmm. and that felt icky to you. Yeah. Wow. So this had this had no, this place, this community that's supposed to be a Jesus community that's transformative in the world had no relational weight mm -hmm. beyond the LED lights yes. in the room. Okay. Well, this was never going to be a place that brought thriving for that type of thing. And so now when someone comes to me, like, and usually they come to me sheepishly, I'm, I'm opening the floodgates of complaints now, um, sheepishly. And they're like, you know, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. I'm like, Oh, please. Yeah. I need a hug because I love that you care enough. So you heard it me. here. Send all of your complaints to Aaron at <laughs> southfellowship.org. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that's right. So I think, I think you can leave too easily. Um, based yeah. on what Paul's saying here, I think you can also stay with this, like just, just this grumpiness and this almost like passive aggressive. Have you ever seen the movie American Hustle? No, uh, a brilliant movie around like police like techniques in the seventies and stuff. And there's this one moment where uh, this cop's kind of like done this underhand thing to to get the the evidence he needs, and the guy that told him not to is kind of slightly annoyed that he's had this big like success and stuff like that. He's still in the room, like with everyone else, but he's just sat in the corner with like his legs kind of like crossed with this like grumpy expression on his face. And he's just like, mm. and they all start making fun of him because he's just there, but not there. Yeah. And I think you can do that in church as well. You can kind of sit yeah. with this like, ah, yeah. Um, which actually is, is not what Paul's saying here either. No, um, not at all. Like, I've actually had people leave really, really well. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. and they come to you and they have that really hard conversation. Yeah. Here's what's going on in our lives. And even if it was reasons that I didn't think were justifications or whatever, they came, they had the hard, hard conversation. That was a dignified, God-honoring, mm. prayerful way of approaching it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, the way that, that's a way that's loving mm -hmm. to say, I care enough about the leadership, yeah. about this, the legacy that's taken place while I was here, all these different things, to have a hard conversation to say, this is what's going on in our world. And then I depart with, with like my head held high and knowing that I tied up some loose ends yeah. relationally. That's a tremendous amount of wisdom, I think. Um, and, th and that like brings back, like the, the term enemies has this just broadness to it. That, um, yeah. That like one of the th hardest things I found pastoring to give people insight into that was like, like I think that the, the, the something, some, sometimes when people get to that place where they're like, I feel like I, I need to move community and you could disagree or agree where they feel like, you know what the kindest thing to do would just be to kind of leave silently. Um, yeah. Like to just kind of disappear, like, and, and nobody will notice. And like one of the things I realized as like a pastor really quickly is one, I always notice. And yeah. two, like, like I, I've, I've had people that I've like, I've, I've, I've been on like three hour car rides with that left without saying a word. Like I've had people that I've stayed in the same room as that just left without, like I found out from social media and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm like, like, how is that like the community of Jesus that he describes? Yeah. Uh, and so then for me, like then the, the challenge becomes, it's really easy for me to cast those people as an enemy. Yes. Um, that, that's where this text hits me yeah, personally. And, yeah. and, and then, and then like the hard part is bring it out of the local church. 
we're still part of the, the church of Jesus together. Absolutely. Cause um, it's not about South yeah. at all. And so that's the piece that I had to wrestle with, uh, as I'm studying this text and praying through this. And there was a time in the last several years, um, especially during a lot of the transition after Ryan left and the hit of COVID mm. and this um, general reshuffling of the mm. entire United States and people moving and changing yeah, jobs yeah. and changing churches. And there was lots of that stuff happening. I really struggled with bitterness towards mm -hmm. certain people who were like, at the beginning of these challenging seasons, we're like, we're all in, we're, oh, we're going to totally, come out on the other yeah, side of this yeah. better than ever. And then there, I was like, three weeks in, you're looking around and you're like, where are all those people who were like gung ho? Uh -huh. And I struggle with bitterness and it's taken, it's taken me a lot of years to start to actually look at some of their situations be like, that was such a, a gift that the move that they made was a gift to them and they're growing in the Lord Absolutely, better than they yeah. were here. Yeah. As much as I miss them yeah, and I was sad that they were gone, I'm, I'm rejoicing with those who rejoice. Yes. And that that's where like praying for their good is such a key thing. Like I, uh, similar to you, I've had moments where like, like a particular brand of jacket that someone wore every time I saw it, but like flipping that person, like just drives me nuts. Like, you know, and actually actively saying like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to actively pray that God continues to grow them, bless them, um, encourage them, strengthen them, all of those different things. Yeah. It was actually just a gift to my own soul. And then hopefully through prayer, a gift to their soul as well. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, I think that that's a surprise. And I think I, I, I kind of knew it was coming. A, a friend of mine that was, he jumped into ministry a couple of years before me. And he said, Alex, he said, you know, the thing that surprised me the most was all the relationships I had, the people that I thought would be like involved and connected all disappeared. Yeah, uh, and and like I, I got to be surprised then by the people that jumped in joyfully, um, and were excited for me and participated with me. Yeah, um, which was yeah, it was just interesting. Well, we didn't get any questions this week because you did such a good job explaining everything. Th that's what I'm going to count on. Yeah. So I, you know, it's funny. The comment I got most about the sermon on Sunday was, "Man, uh, you did a great job holding it together when the technology fell apart." I'm like. Do you remember anything else I, that happened? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, but it was, it, no, it was fine. Um, well, I think, I, th I think that just, that, that piece just taps into people's fears, right? Cause that's it does got, like that. Their that, emotion f on my behalf, uh -huh. they were feeling for me. Well, public speaking is what the number one fear yeah. in life in general, more than the fear of death. Yeah. Um, and then the idea of being on stage with like, it's like the dream where you stand up on stage and suddenly you look down and you don't have clothes on or something like that. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's just, yeah. Well, for me, I was standing on stage and I realized I didn't have my Fleming Rutledge quote, which was almost like not, not having, having clothes. clothes. Yeah. Like heartbreaking. <laughs> it was so heartbroken. And um, I, I feel like the only time I quote Fleming Rutledge, probably inappropriately, is at Advent. Yeah. So I was joking with someone today. I was like, Aaron just couldn't wait for Advent. Like he had to get her in there before that. Like, That's right. Know. Well, I got to beat you the punch, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, it was fine. Cause I, like I said, I preached this in class mm. and we're not allowed to have notes and we're not allowed to have PowerPoint. Mm. So I was fine, but 
I was really emotionally struggling because I added in the Fleming Rutledge quote and I was like, I don't want to let go of this. And so all that stuttering that I did up there was like me wishing and hoping it would come back back on on just in time. Yeah. But oh, well. Yeah. If only you'd had it on your iPad to read for us or something. Well, yeah, if only, which I did, which that's the the quote I read at the close for the benediction. So I just didn't want to sit there and flutter. I was already out there talking to people at that point, you know. Getting my getting my fix of conversation. Um, Yeah. Huh. Well. Well. Yeah. Since there was no questions, I think that that's uh, that's that's everything. Yeah. On to Advent, we get to begin in the dark um, and move towards the season of light. Uh, Yeah. And we're going to talk about a lot about uh, anticipation of the second coming of Christ, right? That is out of my control because I'm only preaching one out of three, oh, okay, that's three right. of the yeah, main Advent right. weeks. So, uh, all right. Well, then we won't. So I will. We won't make but any who promises. knows what Dan and Jessica will do? That's right, just like a mystery. We'll just yeah. We'll just yeah. Well, guys, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, yeah, this means I have to do our weekly me trying to find the stop button. Mm-hmm. See you all. See y'all soon. later. Bye bye. New broadcast details. Did it stop?